I'll tell you what, Mike knows how to get me with the organ. On the organ. I love it. I love it. Good morning, Strong Tower. It's good to see our church family this morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. You just never know what people are going through as you come in this place. You know, like there's just so much that happens from Sunday to Sunday. And you can come in here grieving, you can come in here celebrating, you can come in here confused or sad, whatever it is, but you can come into the house of the Lord. And it's just good to be here. So good to be here. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12 this morning. If you want to grab your Bibles or follow along uh, with us on the screens uh, behind me. Uh, If you're new here, again, we want to welcome you and just say welcome to our our family. We're glad you can be here this morning. As John said earlier, you could fill out the Connect card, and we would love to connect with you and follow up, see how we could be a blessing in your life. Uh, And yeah, it would be a wonderful gift to us to be able to connect with you. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We're going to look at just verses 41 through 44. We've been walking through the Gospel of Mark really since September. And uh, one of the beautiful things about walking through a a book of the Bible for a long period of time is you come upon things that you don't normally want to talk about. And today's one of those days. Uh, It's a a passage about giving. And people get a little uncomfortable when the pastor starts talking about giving. But stick with me for a second, all right? Uh, Jesus has something to say to us this morning, and I'm, I'm glad for us to look at it. So Mark chapter 12, beginning at verse 41, hear the reading of God's word. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has given in everything, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. I want to tag our text today, the way of more, the way of more. Let's pray before we dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word speaks life to us, where we are dead in our own hearts, where we're dead in in the life that we live, whatever it may be, God, you speak life to the dry bones. And so, God, we ask that your word would speak life to us today, that wherever you seem fit to to work in us, God, we invite your spirit to work in our hearts, to transform us, to be more and more like Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, uh, my wife and I visited the Vizcaya Museum and Gardens in Miami. And if you've never been there, I would recommend going. It's a fascinating place. Uh, we, we had heard about it from some friends, and, and so we decided to go visit uh, while we were there. And it, it's this massive estate that is uh, from a man named James Deering, who built it uh, a long time ago. And, and he built it out of his fortune that he made in the farming business up in Illinois. And apparently, he had so much money, he didn't know what to do with all the money. And so he decided, you know what, why not build an exotic European masterpiece of architecture down in Miami? You know, why not? And so he did. And it's stunning. And so he he built this incredible place where if you go and, and you show up to the parking lot, from the parking lot on, the place is immaculate. 
You see this beautifully manicured garden space. The grass is perfectly even. All the flowers are blooming perfectly. It's just beautiful. And then you walk inside, and as soon as you enter into this door of this estate, you notice that the inside is, is this open courtyard. It's an open-air courtyard, and there's gardens inside, and there's fountains, and these beautiful statues. And, and then you turn to your right, and you see the walls are made out of marble. And, and the floors are, are this special material imported in from Europe, right? And, and so it's just this incredible place. And you start to walk around, and you go from room to room, and you see furniture that's been brought in from Europe and paintings that's been brought in from Europe and even the ceilings. Get this, they couldn't just have normal ceilings. They had to bring ceilings over on a ship and install them seamlessly. It's incredible. And so as we're walking through, I'm thinking to myself, I got to learn more about where the, how this happened. And so I start Googling on my phone this place and I find out it was built in 1914. It took them nine years to build this place. Nine years, and get this, it took them $15 million in 1914. In today's money, that's about $450 million. And then it hit me. We paid $20 to go in this place and walk around and look with what someone else did with their money. I paid money to look at what someone else did with their money. I mean, that's just odd, isn't it? But we loved every second of it. Like, it was incredible to just walk around and see what this person did with their money. Because it's fascinating. Because you, this is the thing. You, you can tell a lot about a person by what they do with their money. Jesus was fascinated by what people did with their money. Jesus, imagine this scene for a second that we just read. He's, he's in the Jerusalem temple and the Jerusalem temple has all these courts and all these buildings, and it's this massive complex. And, and in that complex is this place called the treasury. And the treasury is where people would go as, as they're entering into the temple to give their sacrifice. They would enter through the treasury, and they would give their offerings. And just imagine for a moment that this room was the treasury, and along the wall of this room would be 13 offering boxes. We've got one in the back that John mentioned, right? They had 13 offering boxes, and each offering box was labeled. It had a little inscription on it that said, this is what the offering is going to go to. And these were special offerings. These, these were offerings above and beyond their normal tithes. And so as you walk in to give these special offerings, you could designate your giving around the room to what you would want it to be. Right, And so this, this room is full of people entering into worship, people giving as they're about to worship, and Jesus sits down on the bench in the back of the room. He grabs a coffee, and he starts people watching. Jesus starts to watch people in the treasury give their money. One by one, he's watching them give. You think about that for a moment. What is Jesus looking for? Jesus is watching people give their money. And none of them knew that Jesus was who he was, right? In that moment, they didn't know that Jesus was God in the flesh, their very maker, who's sitting on the bench next to them, watching them give to all these different offering boxes. They didn't know that Jesus was watching. God was watching. I mean, I don't know about you, but that, that's a little intimidating. It's a little intimidating to think that Jesus, with his eyes, is looking at you give every single dollar. What, what is he looking for? 
You ever thought about that? What, what is he looking for? Is, is it going to be too much? Is it going to be too little? Is it going to be the right motives? Is it, is it going to fit into what Jesus is anticipating, what Jesus is desiring? That's the question I want us to get at. What is Jesus looking for when he's watching? Because he is, right? What kind of giving is Jesus going to celebrate? That's what I want to look at today, and we're going to look at three kinds of giving, three kinds of giving, okay? And so if you're taking notes today, the first one is abundance giving, abundance giving. Look at me at verse 41 as we jump in the passage. It says this, and he, Jesus, right, sat down opposite the treasury. He's on the other side of the room and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. Now, remember, Jesus is people watching, okay? But Jesus is people watching during the Passover. This is the Passover season. And the Passover season was where Israel would celebrate all that God had done in their past, where God delivered them out of Egypt, right? Out of bondage, out of slavery. He delivered them into their own land. And so they're celebrating the fact that God has redeemed them. God has saved them. And it was an annual festival where all the Jews would come from around the world, they would come from around the world and, and come to Jerusalem. And so it was this massive party, if you could imagine it that way. They would see family members. They would see friends. They would, it was kind of this incredible reunion. And so and in that season, Jerusalem was packed. There was people everywhere. And so the room that Jesus is in, the treasury, could hold about 6,000 people. And you could imagine it's at this season, wall-to-wall people. It's loud, it's chaotic, there's, there's people running in and out, people trying to get to the offering box on the other side of the room, people are yelling and screaming, there's so much going on, and yet Jesus sees something. Jesus sees something happening in that moment. Right? This, this is a recipe for, for showmanship. You think about it this way, that large crowds People are giving money. This, this is a recipe for something bad. And sure enough, he, he describes this scene that was a common scene in that time where a wealthy man, probably a businessman, comes in and he's, he's got you know, this look on his face like he's strutting in. He's so proud of what he's got. And, and behind him, uh, we find out from the other Gospels, are, are these servants who are carrying their bags of money, right? They, they didn't give online. They didn't have planning center. They didn't have Visa. They didn't have MasterCard. You couldn't set up a recurring gift. It, it wasn't like that. You, you came to the temple and you brought your cash. Remember what that was? Cash. They, they, they brought bags and bags of money. And so this guy, he's got so much money he's bringing to the offering, he's got his servants behind him carrying the bags of coins. And as soon as they get up to the offering box, you know, everybody's ooing and aahing. Oh, wow, look how much money he's got. Look how much he's giving. Look at this. This is an incredible show of generosity that he would give to support this and he would give to support that and to support this, right? He's going around putting money in each one. And as they're unloading the bags of money, you know, it's loud, it's clanking in the brass uh, trumpet-shaped offering boxes that they were. It would clank against there, and you would hear the money going in. Clank, 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 clank. All this money. And people are thinking, wow, if I could just give like that guy. If I could just give as much as that person. And then he looks behind him, right? And the next guy in line, he's like, can you top that? I mean, that, that was the culture around that moment. But Jesus isn't impressed. 
Jesus isn't impressed. Look, look how he evaluates it in verse 44. He says, they, speaking about the, the, these people, they all contributed out of their abundance. Their abundance. Literally, it's out of their excess. In other words, they didn't really need it. It wasn't money that was really necessary. It was nice. It was nice to have some extra money, but it wasn't really necessary. And so Jesus says, they give out of their excess. They give out of what they don't really need. And so what it does is it ends up making them look spiritual. It ends up making them look generous, but really it's just extra cash lying around because they had so much of it, they didn't really need it. Why does he, why does he say this? What, what, what's going on? Jesus is saying about them, he's saying that this giving isn't really a threat to their, their comfort. It's not really a threat to their, their abilities, their, their uh, financial status quo, right? Their giving doesn't affect their hearts, but it does reveal their hearts. It reveals something about their motives. Because listen, money, money will always reveal your motives. It will always reveal your motives. Every month in the mail, I get a, I get a statement from Lakeland Electric. It's, it's like the most uh, impersonal statement, right? I don't know if you ever get one. Maybe you get an email. It, it just says your name, your address. It says all the things you've used this month, your, your electricity, your water, your trash, all the stuff, right? And it lists them out, how much you've used. And then at the bottom, it just says, make checks payable to Lakeland Electric or pay online here. And that's it. Lake, Lakeland Electric doesn't care whether I'm able to give. They, they don't care whether I'm joyfully giving. They don't care whether I'm sacrificially giving. They don't care whether I'm begrudgingly giving. They only care if I fully give. That's it. There, there, there's no sense, no mercy. It, they don't care where my heart is as I pay my electric bill. They just want me to pay the bill. And they want me to write the check or they want me to go online and pay online. That's all they care about. Jesus is saying, as we unpack this text, I want you to get this. Jesus is saying, I don't want you to just pay the bill. I, I am not Lakeland Electric. I want what, what you do with your money reveals something about your motives. What you do with your money reveals something about what's going on in your heart. And so the question we got to ask before we keep moving on is, what does it reveal about your heart? When you're giving out of abundance, what does that reveal? I think, number one, it might reveal for us some of our own pride. Right? You're not probably walking in here like the guy in the story who's strutting around with his servants carrying bags of money and look at me, look at how amazing this is. You're probably not doing that, but it's probably a little more subtle. You can still kind of have this look at me attitude when you're giving. Right? Look at me, God. Look, look at what I'm doing. Look, look at how faithful I've been. Look, look at how I've, I've, I've tied down to the penny, God. I, I'm giving all this money. I'm, I'm faithful. I'm, I'm consistent. I'm sacrificing here. Look at me, God. Aren't you going to bless me? Aren't you proud of me? And then you might slip a little comment here and there about how much you give to someone else, or, or you might you know, judge someone when you find out how much they give, and it's not as much as how much you give. And, and so you kind of have these little subtle things happening in the church where, where people know maybe a little bit about this and a little bit about that, and so you know this is something that you are proud of. 
What does it reveal about your heart? As you give out of your abundance, if you have the means to give out of an abundance, sometimes it can reveal your pride, but other times, other times, and I think most of the time, it can reveal your fear. Your fear, right? Often our top priority with money is security. We, we want to be safe. We, we want to know where the money's coming from. We want to know where the money's going. We, we want to have a sense of security and safety. And so the reason, the reason these folks are giving out of their abundance, as Jesus says, is because to give out of your need, which we'll get to in a minute, takes faith. To give not just out of something that you don't really need, something out of your excess, but to give out of what you actually do need, something that is going to challenge you, something that's going to sacrifice for you, that's going to take actual faith. It's going to take me going from, I'm comfortable here, I'm secure here, this makes sense here, I know where all of this is going to come from, to now I'm going to step into the land of unknown. And I'm going to have to actually trust God to do what I don't know how he's going to do. Ask yourself, when you're giving out of your excess, what does it reveal? Does it reveal fear or pride? And then the question is, what do we do with that, right? What what does it reveal, and then what do we do with it? This is the second point I want to look at, because Jesus shows this beautiful example for us, this beautiful display, and this is the second point, is sacrificial giving. Look at verse 42. Jesus goes on to see uh, some more happening at the scene in verse 42. He says, And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to him, or said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, first we've got to understand this offering. Uh, Mark tells us that, that the widow, this lady, gives two lepta in, in the Greek. It's two lepta. And a lepta was, was worth about less than 1% of a daily wage for a, a laborer. So if you could kind of translate that into today's money, it's a little bit vague, but let's say a day laborer got $50 for working for the day, then less than 1%, it's going to be somewhere in the 50 cent, maybe 25 cent range. That's a lepta. And this lady gives two lepta. And the lepta looks kind of like our modern day penny. That's why the ESV translates it a penny. It's, it's this really small, tiny, thin copper coin. So imagine the contrast between the bags of heavy coins that the wealthy person just gave to now this woman gives a coin that you could almost not even hear it as it hits the bottom of the offering box. It's so light, it's like a feather just kind of floating down into the offering box. It's it's so quiet, so unnoticeable, and she gives two lepta, which which would make somewhere around a dollar, probably a little less than a dollar. That's her massive offering. And Jesus says it wasn't just two lepta, it wasn't just one dollar, it was her last dollar. It was her last dollar. She says, I'm going to give everything, right? And literally, Jesus says, she put in all she had to live on. The word there means all of her life, all of her bios, or her whole self, she put in those two coins. Everything she had was now in the offering box. 
Now, imagine what this means for a second, because it's really hard for us to wrap our minds around this, because we don't live in first century, uh, you know, biblical world. Like, th- th- this is just so different for us. But, but listen for a second. The, the widows in this culture had very few options. If you were a widow in this culture, you couldn't then just go get a job usually. If you lost your husband, you lost your sense of income, you you lost your sense of community, and and you would fall back on your family. But if you had no family, which was common for for people, they, they would end up on the street. And if you were a widow, you had very few options other than begging or prostitution. And then to make things worse, Mark tells us before this passage that he confront, that Jesus confronts the scribes because the scribes were going from house to house in the widows' community and they were devouring the widows' homes. So these religious leaders who were supposed to be a part of the, the help to come in and help these people who were vulnerable and marginalized, they, they were taking advantage of the widows. So here you have this woman who comes to worship. And she's already been taken advantage of by the church. She's already lost her husband and her sense of community. She already has nothing. And she comes to worship with one thing. I want to worship God. She comes into this temple and and nothing's going to stop her. She's pushing through these thousands of people in the treasury. She's saying that they're not going to stop me from worshiping. I'm going to come into this place and I'm going to worship my God because I am here to worship. Right? She could have kept one lepta back for herself. She could have said, I'll I'll give one coin to God and I'll keep one for myself. That'll be a little safer. That'll be a little bit more reasonable, a little bit more logical. But no, she decides to give both to God. I mean, think about that. She, Dave Ramsey would have chewed her out. <laughs> Crown Financial would have failed her in the class. This, this is not logical. This is not good stewardship. This is not how you should manage your household income. She is doing the illogical because she's saying, I don't care what it takes. I am going to worship. I'm going to give God everything I have. This is what's amazing. Jesus sees her gift of less, and he calls it more. He calls it more. I mean, it's amazing. He, he calls the disciples over, right? Jesus is sitting there with his coffee, people watching at the treasury, and he sees this amazing display of faith, and he says, hey, disciples, come on over here, come over here, check this out. And this is really, in Mark's gospel, this is the last time Jesus gives a lesson to the disciples. Don't miss the importance of that. This this woman is the final model of what discipleship looks like in Mark's gospel. This is the last words of Jesus, if you will, to his disciples before he heads to the cross. Jesus says, I want you to see this. I want you to see this. Do you see that woman? Her offering is more than all their offering combined. Everything they gave, the bags and bags of money that filled up those 13 trumpets, her offering was more. I mean, at this point, they're thinking, Jesus, you've lost your mind. I know we, we, we hear you say you're the Messiah, but now you've really lost it. Her money is not going to, to fund the temple. Her money isn't going to make a dent in the budget. How, how is that the greatest offering that's ever been given today? Simple. It's because Jesus has a different way of measuring. Jesus wasn't concerned about the size, but the source. He wasn't concerned about the size, but the source. You notice the difference? Jesus says, one of them gave out of their abundance. The other gave out of their poverty. 
You see that? Jesus is saying one of them gave out of the, out of the source of excess and they, they, they didn't even miss it. They didn't even need it. But this woman, she gave out of her poverty, literally out of her need. And because it was out of her need, it was more. See, they, uh, their giving costs nothing. Her giving costs everything. Giving is never about the size. It's always about the sacrifice. It's always about the source. Listen, some of you need to hear this today. I want you to be encouraged if your gifts are small. Maybe you never thought a pastor would say that, but I want you to hear this. I want you to be encouraged if your gifts are small. Because sometimes if your gift is small, it's still a sacrifice for you. Right? You may not feel like it, and so many people don't, don't understand giving in the church. And I think even today, like this next generation of church, we, we've completely lost an understanding of how giving works. But, but what, what it really is, is we, we think we're misunderstanding that giving is about making an impact. And if I can't make an impact, if I, if I don't see thousands of dollars or, or tens of thousands of dollars, then, then my giving doesn't really matter, and, and you're missing the point. Giving is not about you making some kind of big splash. Giving is about worship. And and Jesus is saying, because giving is about worship, it's not about the size of your gift. You can give something small and it be significant in the kingdom. Sometimes you get into the comparison game and you start seeing, oh, this person, look how much they give, or they must give a lot. Look, they, they drive that nice car and they've got a big house and... And, and they've got it all together, you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Some of the most generous people I've ever met in my life are people who don't have the nice car and don't have the big house and have made incredible sacrifices for the kingdom. Listen, don't get caught in the comparison game. Don't, don't get caught up saying, I'm, I'm not going to give because my giving isn't going to make an impact or my giving is nothing compared to that person. You should be encouraged if your giving is small, yet it's a sacrifice. But on the opposite side, you should be challenged if your giving is small and it's not a sacrifice. Right? For some folks in the room, $5 is a big sacrifice. Other people, $5,000 isn't really felt. Right? You, you can have a lot of money and it still isn't impacting you. It's, a, it's out of your abundance. It's out of your excess. It's something that you, you're not even really going to miss. You're not even going to really feel it. And so I want you to ask yourself, have you lost the adventure of generosity? I mean, if, if that's the place you're in where, where you know, you're giving out of, out of your excess and, and, and maybe, maybe you've just been a faithful tither for a long time. I was talking to our kids this past week about tithing, and we're starting those conversations. They're, they're seven, seven, and about to turn 10. And two of the girls, I talked to them about tithing first because the other one was out doing something else. And uh, they were so excited. They're like, yeah, that sounds great. God owns everything. We want to give uh, to what he's doing. That's great. And then, uh, so they're like, yeah, let's go. Let's tithe on Sunday. And then the third daughter, I'm not going to tell you who. I talked to her as soon as she got home. I said, uh, you know, let's talk about giving. I talked to your sisters about it. And she started weeping. And she said, but I want all my money. I want all my money. Right? I mean, money will reveal your motives. It'll reveal your heart. But listen, some some of us, you've been tithing since you were 10, 
Because your, peop- your, your family, whoever it was, someone taught you along the way, you should be tithing. And so you've been tithing down to the penny for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years. But let me ask you, have, have you lost the adventure of generosity where you don't even think about it anymore? You, you don't even feel it anymore. You, it, it doesn't make you say, yeah, I really want all my money. It doesn't challenge you anymore. It doesn't cause you to live by faith. That's what I would ask you to consider for just a moment. Is it the kind of giving that Jesus would say, do you see that? That person, that person is trusting me in a way that's different. Remember, it's not about the size. For you, that could be $15, going from $5 to $15. But for for everyone, you have to pray about that and say, God, where, where are you calling me? into this sacrificial generosity, to live not by comfort, but by faith. Because for Jesus, he, he's less concerned about stewardship and more concerned about love, about love. I mean, think about this for a moment. We've got to move on. Why doesn't Jesus stop the widow from giving? I mean, remember the context. She is giving to the temple treasury that's going to support the people who murdered Jesus in a few days. She's giving to the temple treasury that supports the scribes who stole all her money. She is giving to the temple treasury that that has caused so much pain for people who are in her situation. And Jesus could have stepped in and said, you know what, honey, don't don't give your money. These people are going to murder me. I mean, he could have stopped her. And Jesus just lets her go. Because for Jesus, it's not about stewardship. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be a good steward. I'm just saying when Jesus looks at the priorities of your giving, he's not saying you should be like Charles Schwab and make the best investment you can possibly make down to every cent. Jesus is saying, where, where is your heart? The reason he lets her go forward in giving to something she probably shouldn't be giving to it's because he knew her heart was in worship. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the temple. It was about her heart for God. Money is just a tool to love. When we get caught up in loving money, we forget that money is for loving. That's what it's for. It's just a tool. It's a means to love. And so what does that look like? How do we do that? What Jesus is calling us to is not anything that he hasn't done already. And this brings us to the last kind of giving. This is redemptive giving. Redemptive giving. Listen to what the Bible says further on in, in 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3 says this, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. What John is saying is this this kind of giving, this this type of giving is a transformative giving. It will change your life and it will change the lives around you. There was a man named uh, Joseph Damien who was a missionary to the Hawaii Islands in the 19th century. He served uh, on the island of Molokai, which had become a leper colony. And basically when, when leprosy broke out in the Hawaii Islands, uh, they started to push people towards this island. And they were cruel, and it was unjust about it. Like, they would literally gather up people, put them on a ship, and dump them off. They, they weren't even kind enough to bring them to the shore because they didn't want anyone to come off the shore. And so they would literally push people off the ship and make them swim all the way to shore. 
I mean, it was cruel, it was unjust, and Joseph Damien hears about this, and he says, I'm, I'm going to go reach those people. And so he goes as a missionary to the Molokai Islands, and it was kind of this natural prison, because you have the water on one side, you have the mountains behind you, and so people couldn't go anywhere. They couldn't do anything. They were stuck. And so when he arrives, basically, they were just waiting to die. And so they, he finds people who are hopeless, despairing, and what does he do? He starts to serve. He starts to bandage up their wounds. He starts to help people. He starts to gather people together and encourage them, pray with them. And over time, a church starts to be born. And so Joseph Damien builds a church for the church to gather. And, and they have a little small church gathering and a community there. They start planting gardens and, and helping people in the community. And after this, you know, years and years of serving the community, there was one Sunday uh, morning where he was having his... Um, or preparing his normal tea for the morning on Sunday. And as he's preparing his tea, he spills some of the hot water out of the teapot. And it spills down on his foot. And he starts to, uh, to look at it as soon as it spills, and he notices it hits his foot, but he never felt it. And so he takes the hot teapot, and he starts to pour more on his foot, and he still doesn't feel anything. And so Joseph Damien had been around the leper colony long enough to know the diagnosis that when you have leprosy, you start to lose feeling in your limbs. And so he realized that morning that he had contracted the disease. And so he goes to church that Sunday morning and he stands up in front of the congregation and he addresses everybody, we lepers. And there's an audible gasp in the room because they realize what that means is their beloved friend would die shortly after that. See, what happened with Joseph Damien was Joseph was this man who, who said, I'm going to go pursue these people, love these people that everyone else had given up on, all these people who had, who had abandoned them and unjustly served them. I'm going to love them, and it cost him his life. He literally gave everything he had, and when he gives everything he had and it cost him his life, these people, they saw firsthand the self-giving sacrifice of Jesus himself. See, Jesus, listen, Jesus redefined giving with the greatest sacrifice. God became one of us, taking on human flesh and blood. He came from the abundance of heaven down to the poverty of earth, right? He came to live among the sick and the selfish. He came to reach the poor and the prosperous. He came to seek and to save sinners like us. But in order to do that, he would have to become one of us. And he would have to give all that he had. God himself had to give his whole life holding back nothing, just like the woman, uh, the widow. He had to give everything he had. God himself gave his life. He gave it all. He gave it joyfully. He gave it for us. In the words of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah says this, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Jesus gives it all so that we could gain all of him. That's how the gospel works. See, what's happening is the opposite of the gospel is your life is for me. Your life is for me. I want to gain from you. I want to take from you. I want to get from you. And so that's what's happening as the scribes took advantage of the widow. And the widow turned it on the opposite head. And the widow says, no, my life is not, or, or my life is not to serve you in that sense that you're taking from me. But I will give my life for you. I will give my life for you because it's in that that I gain. 
This is what John means when he says we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. He's saying where we are redeemed by Christ, we reflect our Savior. He humbles our pride that screams, look at me, because it's no longer about me. He calms our fears when we say, who's going to care for me if I give generously? Because God reminds us that he owns everything, right? If God could give his own son, then surely he can take care of everything else. Surely he will give all that we ask. Surely he will take care of us from beginning to end. Because we have freely received, we can freely give. See, giving isn't about the size. It is about the source. It's about God who is our source. Do you need to be encouraged today? As we close today, I want you to remember, if your gifts are small, God sees them. God sees them. And he's excited about them. Just as Jesus sees our giving in this text, Jesus sees us today. And when he sees your small sacrifices that are huge sacrifices for you, he rejoices. But maybe today you need to be challenged and not just encouraged. If you're walking through life just kind of giving out of abundance and not thinking about it, not living the adventure of generosity, not challenging yourself to live by faith, Jesus wants you to hear you can trust him. You can trust him to give generously because he's given his own son. He will hold back nothing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for the gift that is your life. Your life, your death, your resurrection, it was all for us. And just as this woman gives all that she had to live on, Lord Jesus, you gave all of your life for us. You held back nothing, knowing the joy that was set before you, Lord. You knew that it would cost you everything, but it would give you everything. Everything you desired, which is us. We are your joy. We are your joy that you would redeem a people for yourself. And so we're so grateful for your love towards us. We're so grateful for your generosity towards us. And Lord, we pray that we, like this widow, would trust you enough to give you everything to hold back nothing from you. We would give you all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. It's all yours anyways. And so we simply return to you as a gift. May you bless your people to become generous. May our church be known as a generous church that gives irrationally. Generosity that just doesn't make sense except in your kingdom. Help us to love you in such a way that you would look at us and say, wow, look at that. Not for us, but for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet as we sing.